Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's very special episode of TCCP is none other than former Warwickshire and Derbyshire scene bowler, Ryan Sidebottom. So Ryan, first things first, mate, thank you very much for joining me here on the podcast today. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome you on for a chat about all things county crickets. I have to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? Thanks for having me, mate. No, the day's been good. Um, you know, been up and early, a uh, bit of dad duties this morning and then had to get out, had to get the dog out for a walk. So it's been nice and relaxing, but um, yeah, so, so far so good. And um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure, mate. As I said, honestly, this has been a long time coming. We've been trying to organise it, haven't we, over the past few weeks, but we finally got there. And in terms of the recording, this is just taking place after Easter. So I have to ask, did you have a good Easter? Yeah, I did. I did. It was very quiet. Um, obviously, my daughter's first Easter. So, um, yeah, all the all the fun and excitement of that. And, uh, yeah, no, just uh, very, very quiet, low-key around home. So uh, very nice. Thank you. Oh, good. That's wonderful to hear. It has been a nice Easter weekend as well, hasn't it, with the weather? The weather's been absolutely gorgeous here in the West Midlands. I mean, I've been all over the place for it. Went to Leamington, went to Warwick, went to Birmingham for a little bit, went to Solihull, Dorridge, Borsal Common. Pretty much done the, the West Midlands tour over the, the bank holiday weekend. But yeah, it has been absolutely gorgeous down here in Shakespeare's County of Warwickshire. And we'll probably talk about Warwickshire County Cricket Club at some point. I have absolutely no doubt about that, Ryan, given the fact that you did play for the Bears and I may just support that county. I'm not sure if I do make it obvious <laughs> enough on this podcast, but yeah, I'm sure that we'll talk about the Bears at some point. But before we, we jump the gun and we get into all of that wonderful stuff and we talk about your time in the county circuit, Ryan, I want to transport you all the way back to the origins of the Ryan Sidebottom cricketing story. So what were your first ever memories of cricket, either playing or watching this simply sensational game? Uh, I think some of my earliest cricketing memories would have to be um, being carted up and around um, back home in, in Shepherd and obviously growing up in, in country Victoria and I'm one of five boys. So I've got three older brothers. So some of my earliest cricketing memories would have to be, you know, sitting in the car, traveling to go and watch them play and, and probably playing with them in the back garden at home, really. Um, it all sort of stemmed from from them. And, um, you know, I've been lucky enough to to be able to play some cricket with them and then obviously, you know, go into bigger and better things. But, um, you know, yeah, the earliest sort of memories I can remember are um, definitely in the back garden and, and being transported around to, to their cricket. So. Well, I'll tell you what, Ryan, that is a lovely pathway into the game. And we talk a lot, actually, on this podcast about back garden or in Australia, you call it backyard cricket, don't you? It's, yeah. it's a very competitive environment. I'm guessing that was the, the same case in the side bottom household. Was it a case of almost the World Cup final taking place every single time the, the ball and the bat was brought out in the backyard? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you get sick of losing pretty quickly, so you got to find a way to win. Otherwise, you, you end up bowling loads or you end up, you know, f spending too much time in the field. So, um, you know, it did get pretty competitive at times. Uh, dare I say there was a bit of bloodshed in the garden or the backyard. But, um, yeah, all, it, all in love and war and fun and games and all that kind of stuff. But, no, yeah, it, it did get quite intense at times, but very, very competitive for sure. 
And be honest, Ryan. You've got to be honest here. Okay, you mentioned you've got three brothers. That would have been tremendously competitive. Who usually came out on top in the backyard? Was it yourself or was it Steele or one of your other brothers? Who usually emerged victorious in the backyard? Uh, well, it depends on you know how far you go back. And so there's 10 years between Trent, my oldest brother, and Steele, my youngest brother. So uh, obviously the younger boys, you know, we used to cop a fair bit of stick. But uh, as we got older, um, the tide started to change and obviously the boys moved out. But I would say Steele and I probably spent most of the time in the, in the backyard together playing. And I would say I spent more time bowling than I did uh, batting. So he was a he was quite a handy cricketer um, before sort of Aussie rules took over for him. So, um, yeah, the hence probably why I'm, I'm a bowler than more of a batter. So. Very, very good points. And it's funny, actually, you mentioned Steele because I did want to bring him up in today's podcast because we might have some Aussie listeners tuning in. We do have some listeners from the land down under. And obviously, Steele has had a fantastic career in the AFL, hasn't he? Playing for Collingwood since 2009, I believe. So you mentioned he was a keen cricketer. What was his role? Was he more of a batter or a bowler or a keeper? What what did he play in the game of cricket? Uh, so, yeah, I, I would say he was more of he probably an all-rounder. Um, he used to bowl leg spin. Um, I think he spent a bit of time at a couple of Brass McGain academies in Melbourne um, for that uh, and made a couple of junior junior hundreds back in and around the, the Cricket Shepherd and competition. But, yeah, he was quite handy. Um handy all-rounder but he's the type of person that anything he picks up he's good at um he's one of those people and um but i think everyone sort of knew aussie rules was his was his passion and uh his love and you know it was pretty it was made pretty clear pretty early that he was going to get drafted at some stage it was just a matter of what number and um yeah we all we all are as a family extremely proud of of what he's been able to achieve and how he's got about it so um Long, oh, hopefully it can, can can continue for him for a little while and a little bit longer and um, he keeps going. But no, so far, so good. Touchwood, he's, he's remained pretty injury-free and he's, yeah, done done tremendously well. So all super proud of him. As you should be as well. He's a, he's a mighty fine player, he's still. He, he really is, as, as many AFL fans will know, watching him for Collingwood over the years. But Ryan, you mentioned there, actually, about the the early days in the backyard and you mentioned about your your love for seam bowling and you're almost destined to be a seamer given those early days in the back garden against your brothers what was it about seam bowling in particular which drew you in in the first place why didn't you become a batter or a spinner or a keeper what was it about the dark arts of seam and swing bowling which captivated a young Ryan Sidebottom um I think it was I didn't necessarily choose it. I think it chose me a little bit in the fact that it was something that I picked up and um, was okay at as a junior and it sort of progressed and um, went to a went to a spot. You know, I was a pretty late, late developer. I never sort of grew until I was sort of anywhere between 18 and 20. And then sort of once I did grow and mature a little bit more sort of you know, my sport in general just sort of um, improved. And I had a bit of a meteoric rise over sort of three or four years where I went from playing country cricket back home in Shepparton to debuting for Carlton in the in the Premier competition in Melbourne. So it sort of happened pretty quickly. And um, I wouldn't say it necessarily 
it lured me in. I don't know whether that was that was true, but um, I think you know once I got into it, then you you start to explore the art of it, and you and you realise actually it's it is a pretty rewarding thing. It's tough work if you know yeah you have to bowl twenty in a day if over four days sometimes, and you know it's not it's not easy, but I think that's what makes it so special and um you know all the hard work you put in and and you know fingers crossed you get the rewards but um yeah I think that's that tough sort of grind of you know you you're in and out of the contest and um the more definitely I got into my career, that's the element that i I enjoyed more of it. Absolutely. And and that's a common theme, isn't it? Amongst seam bowlers in particular, it's the fact that you can change the entire face of a game with your art form. It's a really fantastic thing to watch in the game of cricket, seam bowling and swing bowling as well. Watching a pitch perfect outswinger nip the outside edge or an inswinger castle the opposition batter. It is fantastic. And I use this analogy all the time on the podcast, but the spin bowler is more of the methodical tactician aren't they? They're the chess player of crickets. And then you've got the scene bowlers who are the rock and roll stars. And in terms of those rock and roll stars, Ryan, I wanted to ask in your early years, if you were watching cricket from around the world, I suppose, at this point, who were your role models in the game itself? Did you have any idols, any icons, any influences that you tried to model your game off of in those early years, per se? Yeah, I guess as as every young you know, cricketer does, they they idolise somebody. Um, and I know I definitely did have a couple at the time. Brett Lee was the, was the guy that was bowling fast and that's what I wanted to do. And that's what I was trying to do. I used to have, you know, I still do have a really long run up, but I used to have a super long run up back then and charge in and try and bowl as fast as I could. And, and that was on the back of, of what he did. He inspired me to do that. Um, I loved the way sort of Glenn McGrath went about his, his business. Um, you know, just his very, economical approach line and length you know never never really gave the bat, batsman an inch and sort of that sort of that side of it as well you know if you could mix two two guys to have the express pace of Brett Lee and and the control of Glenn McGrath you you know you'll have a, a pretty good bowler so I guess those two sort of um were sort of my idols obviously growing again growing up back at, back around in Australia that's you know we support I supported Australia I watched a lot of Australian cricket so they're they're two two of the guys that I probably idolized most well I've got to say even though obviously I'm an England fan two fantastic shouts to say the least Binger Brettley a a speed demon to say the least unleashing those rockets from that almost mile-long run-up it was fantastic to watch him steaming in and, and sending stumps flying and then as you mentioned Glenn McGrath the master of the art of swing bowling. I believe he, he took 563 test wickets. So some fantastic shouts there, Ryan. And this is going to be a very tough question, but if you could have, I don't know, an hour long net session with Brett Lee or Glenn McGrath, who would you choose and why? Um, I think I'd, I think I would choose probably Glenn, but just for the fact of being able to, to talk the art of how he went about things. And obviously he weren't, he wasn't, you know, the quickest bowler going around. So he had to, you know, use his height and 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 think a little bit more about how he went about it. So I think, you know, trying to trying to pick his brain about that, that would be, you know, something that people should like you you know, you'd 
obviously love to be able to do it. So I would definitely say, you know, Glenn, I've been I've been lucky enough to be able to meet Brett and and chat, you know, cricket with Brett, and and it was great. Um, but yeah, I think being able to sit down and and talk to such a tactical genius almost, um, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, op- the option would be great. So put it that way. Well, yeah, to be honest, either or, both would be fantastic for completely different reasons. And you mentioned about meeting Brett Lee. How did that opportunity materialise? Yeah, so it was in between county seasons. I went back to went back home to Shepparton um, and the ACA, uh, they do a master's programme and the tour happened to be sort of in and around uh, country Victoria, which was, about, and it turned out to be about an hour from home. So I got invited on that, and um, there was a junior junior uh, pathways program being held, sort of in and around the area as well. So it sort of dovetailed off the back of that, and you know we mixed with the kids and stuff. And I think Brett had, I think his eldest son or something like that was, that was there. So we were, um, I was yeah, I was with a few of the other ex professionals, and and was lucky enough to be able to, to be introduced to Brett and and be able to have a bit of a chat and yeah it was actually yeah it was pretty surreal to to meet someone that you've idolized i bet it was because for years he was just a nightmare wasn't he to england in particular in the ashes in in white ball cricket as well as i mentioned just steaming in and, and causing all sorts of chaos brett lee what a bowler i'll yeah. do anything to watch him bowl again just just one of those players who again almost laid the foundation of a lot of people's childhoods isn't he you know, yeah, a lot of people talk about Brettley. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's he he was the guy in those sort of early to mid two thousands that were was the guy that was bowling, you know, one forty five, one fifty plus. Uh, and they had, you know, there's there's not many of those guys around. England are lucky at the moment; they've got a few on their books that that are able to do that. And you know, they're exciting. They're exciting. They they bring people like. They bring people in because you know people don't realise how terrifying it is to stand at the other end of someone bowling at 145, you know, 90 plus miles an hour. It's terrifying, but to sit there in the crowd and actually watch it, it's it's pretty pretty special. Um, and you know, if you get a guy that's able to do it day in day out and he's pretty reliable, it's it's you know something you. You've almost got to bless yourself because it, it's so rare to be able to have someone do it cons- on a on a consistent basis. It certainly is, and and again, just the generational talent, Brett Lee, and you mentioned those ridiculously fast bowlers from Australia. Just another one, maybe a little bit less consistent than Brett Lee at times, but Sean Tate, the wild thing with that slingy action, oh, just bowling one sixty plus. Yeah, what a bowler, Sean Tate. Yeah. Yes, at times he could lose the radar. But in terms of those million-dollar players, you just want to watch him just an agent of chaos at times. Yes. Just bowl those bumpers and those Yorkers. Great it's an element, to watch. an element of X factor about it, isn't it? If you've got a guy that can bowl, you know, that quick, it's you know, you don't necessarily need them to bowl millions of overs for you. It's the it's the impact that they do have when when they're there that hopefully they can strike you know reasonably quickly and you can you know. Get someone else new in, and that's all. That's all they're trying to do is is be an impact bowler and um, show their X factor, really. And to be honest, players like Sean Tate, Joffre Archer, Mark Woods, very much in that same form, isn't he? 
they do exactly that. So they must be absolutely terrifying to face. And Ryan, this is a really nice question that I've just thought of. And it relates back actually to a question I asked Tom Barber because we had a really nerdy chat about all things seam bowling. But if you could go back in time and just relive one spell of fast bowling, right? It can be in terms of swing bowling, it can be seam bowling, it could be, I don't know, just a, a short, sharp barrage of bumpers. Any spell in the history of cricket, if you could go back in time and relive just one spell of bowling, which spell would you choose and why? Um, that's a pretty tough question to ask, um, to be honest. I think something that sticks um, recently in your mind is that spell of Jofra to you know the Aussies in the Ashes. Um, you know that was just so exciting to watch you know you couldn't could not watch it because there was just something happening all the time um in recent in recent times that's probably one but to sit down i'd have to actually sit down and have a think about if i went back any further than that i'd have to sit down and actually really think about my answer but that that's one of the the you know specialist spells i've, I've seen in a long time it was just electric it was, it was cinema, wasn't it? Playing out in real time, just... If you watch The Test, and The Test is a fantastic series on Amazon Prime, they do film it almost as this blockbuster, and that's exactly what it was. The, the thrill, the excitement, the emotion in that, in that moment was <laughs> unparalleled. So a great shout there, to be honest, Ryan. I'm just thinking of some other ones. I think back to Flintoff, 2005 Ashes against Ponting, oh, that was pretty special. Not that just to Ponting, to the whole Aussie team. Like again, he was a guy that it, it, he would have inspired a generation of cricketers in his in his own right. And you know that was that was something special. I think I can. I don't know whether I. I think it was Glenn McGrath that told the story of there was a there was a, a test you know late on in the series when Freddie had just been bowling absolutely outstandingly, and he come out and the, all the Aussie guys are out there bowling, and Freddie walked out and. Freddie was actually—he has gone on to say that he was extremely stiff and sore. He bowled one ball, walked back in, and all the Aussie guys are going, "How is he doing this?" Like it's just—that's an—you know—just things like that along the way, just you know, show how good he was. But that's another experience, like exceptional bit of like spell of bowling. Not only just over one Test match, but to do it over over a five Test match series, like in an Ashes, is something something special. It definitely is. And, and look at us two talking about it now, almost 18 years on. It is absolutely staggering. It's scary that the 2005 Ashes were 18 years ago. That's terrifying, to be completely honest, to think <laughs> about that. But at the same time, it is also an Ashes year, Ryan. And yep. I've got to ask the million-dollar question because <laughs> you mentioned about supporting the Aussies. 2023, Pat Cummins and the Australians coming to the shores of England and Wales to take on Ben Stokes in this new era England side under the leadership and, and guidance of Brendan McCullum, I've got to ask, mate, what are your predictions for the 2023 Ashes? It's going to be a hell of a series. I know that. Um, the, the, way the, the way the England guys are going about it, it's, you know, a, a new sort of style of test cricket. It's exciting. It's, you know, everyone needs, everyone wants to watch it. And that's, you know, the exciting thing about it is that there's no limitations on, on how far they can go. And, um, it's going to be a hell, a hell of a, a, a series. In terms of a prediction, it's a it's a great question. Um, I'm going to yeah. I, I, to be honest, I think it'll be a a two one victory to England. I think 
uh, just the home home conditions. Um, Baz, well, I don't think they really like it being called Basball, but the Basball, you know, style is is exciting. You know, I can't see it sort of stopping. Why can't they keep doing it? There's no there's no limitations on it. So, I think it's going to be heck of a series. But I think with my take my heart out of it, I think my head says a two one went to England. That's interesting, to be honest, Ryan. I mean, I, I don't think I can predict an England win purely because the predictions on this podcast usually go terribly wrong. So I think for the <laughs> sake of, of England fans across the country, I'm going to refrain. I'll go for a 2-2 draw. I'll play it nice and safe. I'll, I'll sit on the fence. <laughs> Get but off the, inner the fence, fan, come on. <laughs> the, the inner England fan wants a 5-0, Ryan. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like, the inner, inner Australian wants a 5-0 from me too, but... Uh, if I have to sit down and think, like the way that the way they've been going about it, the way you know they're just expressing themselves in a whole new way. There's, you know, there's no fear about it, and that's yeah. I, I think there might be a bit of rain, and there there may be a washout here or there. So that's hence why I've gone the two the two one. But um, yeah, it's a it's an exciting time, a heck of a series. It's you know, I think I'll definitely be watching as much as I can for sure. As will I, to be honest. As will people across the world. I think millions will tune in, to be honest, because this Ashes series, after 2019 as well, 2019 was pretty special. Let's be honest, Ben Stokes and the Headingley Miracle. Obviously, the Australians retaining it, and they've now got it very much in their hands after the last Ashes in 2021. But it just has the makings of a blockbuster summer, doesn't it? Basball versus Pat Cummins, that incredible Aussie seam attack. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Honestly, it, it fills you with so much excitement. Nerves at the same time, obviously, because of how much the series means. I mean, this has been a series which has been going on since 1882, right? There's well, so much at stake when it comes to these two cricketing nations. It is the pinnacle of cricket rivalry. But I tell you what, regardless of the result, obviously we want an England 5 now, but, <laughs> but regardless of the result, it's going to be a great series and a great summer, to be honest, not just in international cricket, but of course with the counties, as we yeah, should probably absolutely. discuss. Absolutely. And I just, yeah, I just hope for, for both sakes and for as a as a spectator, you just hope that that both teams are fully fit and they can you know, go go toe to toe with with no injuries. So that's you know, definitely, definitely exciting. 100%. It certainly is. And yeah, to be honest, can't wait to cover the Ashes here on the podcast. It's going to be absolutely blockbuster. But Ryan, Ashes talk aside, because we could talk about that for the entire podcast. Let's face it, an Englishman and Aussie get in a room talking about cricket, be here for 10 hours, <laughs> if not longer. But I suppose before we, we divulge into any more conversation about the greatest rivalry in cricket, I just wanted to take it back, actually, to your time in Australia before we get onto the wider conversation about county cricket. Because before making your debut here in England and Wales, you alluded to it briefly beforehand, but you did actually play Sheffield Shield cricket in Australia for your home state side of, of Victoria. So in terms of that route into the professional game, how did that come about? Was that a case of coming up through the junior system? Was it a case of coming up through trials? How did that opportunity materialise itself in the first place? Yeah, I alluded to it a little bit earlier where I was a, I was a bit of a late developer. I never grew till I was sort of a, a little bit older. So um, I think it was 20, 2010, I, I got, I was, I was playing A-grade cricket back home in Shepparton with my, with my three older brothers. And um, we were playing against uh, an ex-Victorian cricketer in Rowan Larkin. And um, 
we ended up losing the grand final, but I had a really, really good conversation with him post-game over a beer. And um, he basically just tapped me on the shoulder and said, mate, have you thought about going to Melbourne and playing Premier Cricket? Because I think, you know, I definitely think you're good enough and I, I see something there. Uh, it's just whether you want to do it or anything like that. And at that stage, I was, uh, what was I, 20, 21 and um, pretty naive. I didn't really think that I was good enough or anything like that. And um, a conversation I had with Steele, because he was already in Melbourne, he basically said, come, give it a go. Come and stay with me as much as you want. Um, I'll help you as much as I can along the way. So that was great. I had the the head the head coach of Carlton Creek Club, Peter Divinuto at the time, gave me a call and I just sort of said yes and and gave it a crack and that's sort of how it materialised. I, I went down and and had a couple of training sessions in in the preseason and and enjoyed it. They were very welcoming, um, bunch of guys and decided to to give it a crack and um, over the first. Two or three seasons, I, I was in and out of the first team. I played one game uh, in the first year, um, then had another pre-season the second year. I uh, played the first five games and ended up with a stress fracture in my back, um, which wasn't great. But, you know, as being part and parcel of a fast bowler, injuries are, are a part of it and you have to deal with that. Um, and then, yeah, went back, did another pre-season and, and, and played the full year in the first team in the third year and and did actually quite well. I think it was one of my better better seasons in, in Australia anyway and um, got the opportunity to represent Victoria in the second 11. Um, played a handful of games in, in, uh, in that and I remember playing, it was a one-day game against the England Lions actually um, at the Junction Oval and... Um, I remember, well, yeah, Ben Stokes whacked me everywhere in the death, and um, but but bowled okay uh, up front. Um, you know, I, I was by far, I wouldn't say I was the best bowler, but I wasn't the worst. And um, off the off off the back of those sort of performances in the second eleven, I was I was picked in a Sheffield Shield squad to go to Tassie, and um, I never really thought that I was a chance to play. I was always told that. I was just in the squad to get around the guys and to meet the guys and sort of see how it sort of works in that environment and all that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, so we flew to Tassie on the Wednesday. Uh, we had a training session on the Wednesday afternoon and everyone was told to sort of prepare as, as they were playing. And me had never played a four-day game of cricket in my life. I didn't really know how to prepare. So I was sort of just trying to take as much in as possible and go about it. But then, yeah, on the Thursday morning, um, Cameron White was the captain he tossed a coin and we were bowling and he came straight over and shook my hand and said congrats you're in and we're bowling so um, it sort of happened happened pretty quickly um, I wish I was able to remember more of, of those four days but um, yeah I just remember it was it, it went really quickly um, I love loved the challenge and of it and it sort of sparked a fire in, inside me that wanted to do it more and more and um, again it was another challenge that I, want, I needed to step up to be at that level and all that kind of stuff and um, yeah on the back of that Sheffield Shield game I, I signed a two-year contract with Victoria and unfortunately I never got another opportunity whether it would be from you know we had a pretty strong bowling attack at that time we had Peter Siddle, James Pattinson, 
who were playing, you know, international cricket. John Hastings, Clint McKay both played international cricket. So we had guys that, you know, those four guys that were our experienced bowling attack. And then we had guys like myself and Scotty Boland, who's gone on to play, you know, test match cricket. And um, so we had, we had a pretty good squad of, of bowlers. So, um, and, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I did have a few injuries along the way. Um, had a couple of ankle operations that sort of, that didn't help. And um, I got released and um, I think it was, it was actually Andrew McDonald at the time. Um, I had a good chat with him and he basically, he asked because there was a rumour that I'd had an English, I was eligible for an English passport. And he basically sat me down and just said, mate, you need to get an English passport. If you want to keep going, then I suggest you, you get your English passport and get over to England as quick as you can and and give it a crack over there because there's you know a hell of a lot more opportunities over there than there is here in in Australia and um you know here we are six years later six or seven years later and um you know been lucky enough to play for Warwickshire and Derby and um yeah it's it's been a hell of a journey it certainly has Ryan and to be honest you couldn't have set me up any better to be honest, for our next segment in the podcast, which does, of course, revolve around arguably the greatest cricket club on planet Earth. And that is, of course, Warwickshire County Cricket Club, the mighty bear and ragged staff here in Shakespeare's County. A tremendously, tremendously prestigious, historic and illustrious side, 22 major trophies in county crickets, the fourth most successful side in the history of cricket here in England and Wales. But before we discuss your debut, before we discuss the initial kind of, of dealings with Warwickshire, you mentioned about getting that British passport, right? So how did you go from that conversation with Andrew McDonald, ascertaining that British passport, and then coming over to, to England and Wales? Why did you choose to, in, in particular, come to the West Midlands of all places? Yeah, so um, the reason I was eligible was my mum was born in Exeter. Um, so she she spent the first seven or eight years of her life in, in and around um, Devon. And um, her and her family migrated over to Oz when, when she was, I think she was seven or seven or eight. And um, yeah, so I was, I was eligible for that. And it's it had been something that I'd, I'd wanted to explore. I'd, I'd always wanted to get over and experience sort of England and to see where she grew up and um, all that kind of stuff. And I guess cricket was the vessel that allowed me to do that. Um, and, you know, I'm forever forever grateful to the Berkshire Cricket Club because they were the ones that gave me the opportunity. They uh, they got in contact with me and, and asked if I was interested in coming over. And, um, you know, I, I grabbed the opportunity with both hands, to be honest. The, the initial plan was to, to come over in 2015, but... Um, I had to have surgery on my on my left ankle, um, so, which didn't allow me to come, um, which probably wasn't a bad thing uh, in in the long run. It gave me another you know season of Premier cricket to to mature and and you know learn the art a little bit more and um, be a senior player in that environment. Sort of made me grow a little bit, being an ex an ex professional at that stage. Um, sort of there was different pressures around a Saturday game of cricket then. And I guess I learned a lot that, that summer and the summer of 2017 came over to play for Berkswell. And, um, you know, there was never, it was never the be all and end all of, of coming over to get a contract. It was, it was an opportunity that was there. And if I could explore some of the, 
some some of the different routes to get into it then you know I, I was um i had i had northamptonshire um getting in contact with me before i'd even touched down in england to ask if i was interested in in trialing in the second team and so i took them up on the offer um and then yeah sort of played played with Berkshaw basically on a saturday and that was sort of just the initial uh initial start with the odd second team game for north ants and then it was Dominic Osler at the time, um, was captain of Berkswell, and he basically said, you need to be a bear, mate. You need to get down. And he organised me to go down to training, had a couple of training sessions, and then, you know, played a, played a, a second-team game in in Nottingham at Lady Bay. And um, I never bowled a ball, never faced a ball. I sat there for three days, and we watched it rain for two and a half days. So... <laughs> Um, that was an, ex- an experience in itself. Um, then I think Warwickshire had a had a big break in in terms of their second team stuff, and um, James Pattinson was at Knotts at the time, and he basically pulled me aside and said, "I've given my I've given your number to the Knotts guy, so expect a phone call." And Knotts uh, got in touch, played a second team game with Knotts, um, pretty similar to to the way it worked. Warwickshire had the one game, then they had a spell. Um, and Warwickshire started back up, but did really well with knots. So took four in both innings of that game. And so they were really keen for me to go back. And um, yeah, then we went up to up to uh, Newcastle and, and played against Durham in a, in a couple of T20s. Did pretty well in those two T20s. And then we played a three-day game and, and you know, bowled, bowled really nicely. I think I got five for in one of in, in one innings. And um, we come back to come back to Warwickshire and played against North Ants in a second team game at Portland Road. And um, North Ants were asking me to play for them, actually. And I'd already said, sorry, I've committed to Warwickshire. So uh, I'll see you there. But it would just be with a bear shirt on. And um, we had a pretty pretty good team, actually. We had, um, I think, Trotty captained and Tim Ambrose was keeping. And Ollie Stone and Chris Wokes both played. We they sort of were coming back from injury, so they were on restrictions. Chris Wright was our other bowler, and um, yeah, so we had a we had a pretty good team that 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 week, and um, it all sort of yeah, it, it all worked out pretty well for myself to be honest. I took two in the first innings, and um, I think it was the night we had a, about half an hour of play left to go in in day two, and we declared and. Uh, Alan Richardson was the coach at that time, and he just said, "Listen, Righty City, you're going to bowl. You know, we've got only got eight overs left, so use two, bowl four. We'll keep Stony and and Wokesy for for tomorrow if we need them. Um, you know, we don't want to use up their overs, you know, tonight. So Righty and I had them four down overnight, and we both had two each, and earned the right to to keep going the next week and uh, the next day, and uh, I." Proceeded to take the next six and end up with eight for, and got in a room with Gilo <laughs> the next day. So it all, yeah, again, it all happened sort of really quickly. It sort of, you know, yeah, had to pinch myself at the time because you know to be bowling with you know those guys and you know to to bowl really well. I guess I was just a lucky one on that day that they were probably trying to slog me and ended up, yeah, you know, I was the one that was getting the wicket. So, um, but yeah, no forever grateful for you know the opportunity that Warwickshire have given me for sure well I had to just touch upon that Ryan because you mentioned some of those players so Jonathan Trott 
former England, one of my favourite all-time cricketers, unsurprisingly. Great, great player to watch. Ollie Stone, now gone on to become an England Test cricketer. Chris Wokes, I think we all know Chris Wokes, two-time World Cup winner with England, England Test stalwarts. Again, an extraordinary player. And Chris Wright, the bowling all-rounder, as we should coin him now, <laughs> after this uh, this weekend, against yeah. Yorkshire up at Headingley. That came out of nowhere. 106 unbeaten runs across the two innings from Chris Wright. Goodness me, he's turned into to the next Ben Stokes. But you mentioned all of these incredible names. Ashley Giles, of course, of another former England Test cricketer. I had to ask Ryan, what were your first impressions of Warwickshire? Because obviously I'm going to be biased. I'm going to say that Warwickshire are massive, huge, gargantuan. Insert XYZ number of, of words and superlatives here. But for you as someone who had come over from Australia, you'd had that experience in the Birmingham League with Burks. Well, Dominic Osler had given you the initial kind of pathway, I suppose, the, the door into the club itself via the opportunity. But what were your first impressions of the Bear and Ragged staff? Well, I guess, you know, growing up watching cricket on TV and you see the, the Edgebaston Stadium and all that kind of stuff. And it had, and I'm not going to lie, it had been a little bit of time in between sort of when I'd, I'd watched games of cricket at Edgebaston and, and getting over here. So just to see the actual stadium in, in itself was, was actually a bit of an eye-opener to say, actually, wow, this is, this is a pretty serious club. You know, to have a stadium like Edgebaston is you know, pretty special. You you know, when you get to walk out there every day and, and call that your office, it's it's a pretty amazing place. And, you know, when you've got, you know, a couple of thousand people in the Hollies, let alone be full, it's 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 an amazing atmosphere and um it's a very, very special place. But in terms of my first um impressions, I was you know, I was really surprised and I was, you know, pleasantly surprised of how professional it was and and but not only that, how welcoming they were, how down to earth everybody were, everybody was, and everybody is. And um, spending an hour there, it felt like I'd been there for you know three or four weeks. So it was it was an amazing sort of opportunity in the first place. But to be able to get down and, and rub shoulders with a few of those guys and, and and have a net session and stuff, it was great. And you know, I was really really taking it back on on sort of the whole environment, let alone you know just the opportunity. Well, to be honest, Ryan, obviously I'm going to say this, but that is wonderful to hear. It really isn't. And to be honest, it is something which crops up, you know, time and time again when it comes to Warwickshire. Obviously, we have got all that history. The fans demand success. There is that level of, of pressure, I imagine, in that dressing room to deliver because you think of the greats who have played for this club. But something which does crop up time and time and time again is that welcoming nature of this club and I think it's a testament to Warwickshire that the you know you've got the likes of Dennis Amos for example a club legend he's still involved with the club Alan Donald is there today funnily enough you've got guys like Belly and Trotty they still come back to Warwickshire as does Ashley Giles as does Brian Lara from time to time so that the fact that all of these legends have got such fond memories of this club is a testament to the ethos and culture of Warwickshire and it is a very very healthy one and it's one that I must say I'm very very proud of as a Warwickshire fan, because you can get to a point where a, a club does get to a, a great deal of success. They have all the trophies, they have money, X, Y, Z, all going in their favour, and they lose their identity. But I feel like in recent years, Warwickshire haven't. And to be honest, I'm, I'm tremendously grateful for that. And talking of your time with mm. the Bears, Ryan, one particular game that we have to talk about is your debut for the Bear and Ragged staff in county cricket. And 
It's a shame this is an audio podcast because, listeners, you should have just seen the grin on Ryan's face <laughs> when I brought up that sentence. You know exactly what's coming, don't you, Ryan? Um, that game at Lords, what a debut that was. A 190-run win over Middlesex in the 2017 County Championship, which, let's face it, was a very rough campaign. In fact, that was our only win um, when we ultimately got relegated on 86 points. But in terms of the debut itself, in terms of that performance, what can you remember about stepping onto that field for the very first time as a member of the Bear and Ragged staff? Yes, I remember um, earlier on in the summer, um, before I think I was still sort of trialling a little bit around the area, I was I was trying to get to Lords to watch cricket, let alone um, play. So I... I was trying to get down to London to do a tour and, and um, hopefully being able to watch a game of cricket and um, it wasn't able to happen um, for a couple of different reasons. But yeah, I think it's, yeah, it was pretty special. So that you fast forward, you know, five or six weeks and, and I'm turning up there a day before a game to have, you know, a, a day of prep leading into a four-day game. It was, you know, something that I never really expected to happen I, as a as a cricketer it's the pinnacle of of the sport basically it's the home of cricket it's it's a it's a extremely special place um to be at and i feel extremely lucky to be able to say that i've not only played there once but i've been able to play there three or four times and um words to, to describe the place of are pretty um, scarce, and um, even to walk, even just to walk into the place on a day day before the game, and there's not a lot of people around. There are only a few staff members around it. It's just got an aura about it that is so special, and um, until you actually get there and experience it, it's it's quite hard to describe. Um, and you know, every, everybody you talk to leading into it, everyone says, "Oh, you know, the slope's quite." you know, big and there, but you, but you, what, when you watch it on TV, it doesn't seem as big as what it, what it actually is. But when you actually get there, you look, you look out from the pavilion, you can see a little bit of a slope and it's still, you know, it, it, it's quite identifiable, but it's not, it doesn't look as big as what it actually is when you get out to the ground, when you actually walk out onto the ground and you get 20 or 30 meters onto the ground, you actually go, wow, this is actually, this is more than I actually thought it was. It's, at one stage, I remember, you know, we were out in the field and I was at fine leg at the pavilion end and I was actually, my eye line was at the base of the stumps and it was like, wow, this is like, it's incredible how it's it's held that sort of identity and, and that aura about it is just super, super special. And to be able to, to be able to play, play a game there, let alone debut there is, is super special. Not only have I been able to debut there once, I've actually debuted there twice and I debuted there for Derby as well. So I'm extremely grateful and extremely lucky to be able to, to say that I've played there once, but I've actually debuted there twice. So um, yeah, it's, it's pretty special. I was going to say, you can't really moan about that, can you? As Not a at all. To Not go out all. onto the, the hallow turf, as you mentioned, the home of cricket. There is a special aura about it. I think that's a great way of describing it. But I've always found it difficult to actually describe Lords because it's one of those venues that is almost like a... You do almost it's get as, overawed by by the sensation of it, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. It's as close to a museum as you'll get for, for a sports venue. Um, mm. 
Like there is literally not nothing is out of place. Every, everything has a place and everything is neat and tidy and it is pristine. And, um, you know, you walk up the stairs to go to the changing rooms and you've got all the paintings on the walls and, and even – even even the day before a game, you walk through the long room. There's no one in there, and it's just so eerie and it's so special. It's just that. It's just it just oozes that aura of, wow, this is amazing, and you can't you can't shake the feeling of of humble. You have to be humbled by by walking through that environment. Otherwise, you know, Mother Cricket's and she's a she's a wonderful wonderful being, um, but she soon will bite you if you start to take take the mickey out of it. Um, and I think, you know, that's a, that's something that's special about Lords is if you take it for granted, then, you know, you need, you need a, you need a good clip beyond the ears, I think. Yeah, you do. Because again, it's a tremendously special venue. And I've said this plenty of times on the podcast, but for those who haven't been to Lords, even if it's for a championship match or a one day cup game, just experience the buzz because yeah. that's something which I picked up on straight away. Obviously, you can hear it on the TV, but there is just that distinct level of chatter all around the ground. Mm. It's an incredible place to Absolutely. watch a game of cricket. So, obviously, if you have the money, get yourself down to Lords. It is a fantastic venue to watch a game of first-class or, indeed, test cricket. And in terms of that game, Ryan, I have to ask um, about your performance because it was rather memorable. Do you remember your figures on debut for the Bears? I know I got four for I can't remember how many. I think it was four for three. No, it was more than that. It was less. Uh, was it? Yeah. Well, there you go. I know I took four wickets. So I got, to be honest, I'm not really a statistician. Um, I try not to, to you know, I, re- I remember games of, you know, I did all right there and I did well there and I can remember sort of wickets, but I don't, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you the exact figures of, of matches, to be honest. Well, for the benefit of the statos out there listening to today's podcast, I shall fill in the gap. So, four for 29 from 10 overs in the first innings, trapping John Simpson, LBW, and then your bold Nathan Salter, Tom Helm, and Tim Murter. And then in the second innings, two for 41 from 6.5 overs. Again, Nathan Salter falling victim to the bowling of Ryan Sidebottomans <laughs> and Nick Gubbins as well. The other wickets in that particular game as Warwickshire actually won a game in the 2017 Championship, which was... Fantastic, to be honest, to to taste that victory. Obviously, a very disappointing season. In yeah, the end, it was. in the blast it, as well. Heartbreak on finals day against Notch just to top it off. Yeah, so like it was obviously disappointing to be relegated. I think you know we actually won in three days that day, and luckily we did because it absolutely hammered it down on day four, and we would never have got any cricket in. So it it, it worked out quite well, but um, you know, extremely disappointed but extremely humbled to be able to play a small part in it um to come in and and debut the way i did it was sort of it it was you know it was nice it was a nice feeling to be able to say actually you know what i think i am actually good enough to be here now and um and that's the big thing for me was just to prove to myself that i was actually good enough to be able to do it at that level and you know whether it happened on my first or second opportunity at it i'm just grateful that I was able to to get an opportunity so um but yeah nice to have proved the point to myself that maybe I could maybe I could do it well you could Ryan and to be honest something which was a testament to that actually by the end of that season you were the Bears third leading wicket taker in the championship 23 wickets at 22.17 over the course of six matches that obviously landed you a longer term contract with the Bears so 
honestly, that's a great debut season in county cricket. Obviously, a disappointing campaign for the Bears, but luckily in 2018, came straight back up, which was fantastic. Winning Division 2, getting back to the promised land of Division 1, where this club deserves to be. So at least that was a positive. And in 2018, I couldn't talk about that season without mentioning another performance against a county which we've actually mentioned already in today's podcast. Let's talk about that victory over Northampton at Wantage Road because those match figures were quite something, weren't they, Ryan? 10 for 96, 6 for 35 of which came in the first inning. So I know you said you weren't a stato, right, and maybe not a massive stats badger, but in terms of that game, what can you remember? Because that is a stellar performance, to say the least. Yeah, I think there was a bit of a build-up to it. Um, you know, obviously being relegated the season before, we, you know, it felt like we almost got punished and we had a we had a marquee on the old number one nets at, at Edgebaston, um, which, you know, at the time it probably wasn't, but it, you know, almost felt, felt like a slap on the wrist that we didn't get a pre-season tour away or anything like that. But, um, you know, leading into the in, into the season, um, remember Jeets was Jeets was captain, and um, for whatever reason, we decided to go go into the first game against Sussex with three seamers and and Jeets, and and I was the one that sort of got missed out. And you know, I think getting the opportunity to play the week after, I was I was keen to keen to grab it and. Um, almost vent a little bit of my sort of frustrations on the week on the selection the week before, and just to prove sort of a point of no, I shouldn't have been left out and all that kind of stuff. But no, it was um, yeah, it was a pretty pretty incredible day um, or pretty incredible game to be honest. Um, one that I you know look back and and hold quite fondly fond memories of, and um, you know just to play my part. To step up because we'd you know we'd lost two two seamers in Keith Barker and and Ollie Stone the week before they'd gone down with hamstring injuries so to step in and you know almost be one of the the leading seamers of of the you know team only only having a handful of games under my belt I was pretty you know keen to impress and um you know to play my role was was more important to me than you know anything else and you know I look back and. What the team needed, I, I think I I produced that, and and you know we we sit here and we talk about it today. So exactly, it, it was a very very memorable performance. Ten for nice six, taking half of the wickets basically on your own. You can't really complain about that. And to be honest, Ryan's as I said, it was a great performance and one you should be tremendously proud of. And talking, I suppose, in that similar vein of of proud moments in a Warwickshire shirt. Would you say that 10 for 96 maybe was your proudest moment or was there another one which surpassed that in the years that followed per se? Um, no, I, def- I definitely think it's it's right up there, if not if not the top. Obviously, you can't go past your debut. Um, you know, and to, and to play my role the way I did in my debut was, you know, pretty special for myself. But um, I, I would definitely say it, it's right up there in the, in the handful of, you know, fond memories of, of past performances for sure. So, um, it was probably the first because my debut season we went from Lords to Old Trafford, Edgebaston and Headingley were the were the four venues we played at. So I played at you know four Test venues in my first six games, and 
as a as a country lad, I was thinking, how how good's this? Like I was, you know, pretty excited to to not only just get to play at Lords, but to go around and see some of the other test venues. So I ticked off, you know, for in my first, you know, handful of games. So it was it was pretty amazing. And Wantage Road was my you know, my first sort of experience of a of a boutique sort of cricket ground, if you want to call it that. Like and I and I enjoyed that experience. It's you know definitely something different to the bigger stadiums where, you know, the crowd are a little bit closer and you've got a little bit more interaction with them. And you know it's 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 a nice a nice experience to 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 be able to have. And you know when you stand down at Fine Egg and you're having a drink, the crowd are literally five or ten meters behind you. And it was the same sort of leading into the into the back end of that season where we had a couple of games in. In the uh, outgrounds, we I think we played against Kent at Tunbridge Wells that season, and uh, again, same experience of sort of first outground experience of actually this is quite this is quite cool. Like we never I never really experienced that, and you know the experience of playing Premier cricket is sort of similar to that, but not on that scale. You don't have you know a thousand or two people sat around the ground, you know, watching all day and. Um, that's that's pretty cool to to experience that. But I remember going from, I think we went from Tunbridge Wells almost, almost straight away up to up to Colwyn Bay. I remember playing at Colwyn Bay, and I had a great week that week. I think, you know, that was a great experience because literally the crowd were a meter on the other side of the of the boundary rope, and you know the kids were running around and asking you for autographs and selfies and all that kind of stuff. And that's another experience that I you know hold quite dear and um I, I actually absolutely love that because it, you know that's that sort of suits me a little bit more than than the lords and the old traffords and stuff like that being a you know country boy that's you know i grew up in a country town of 400 people so quite a quite a shy country boy at, at, at heart and um you know just getting back to small country towns and playing is you know something that i really enjoyed Oh, well, it's something that is very, very special, isn't it? Experiencing those outgrounds, that different style of, of cricket spectating, I suppose, because you do have your massive cess venues, your Edgebastons, your Lords, your Old Traffords, but again, those smaller, more intimate venues, they're great to watch cricket at. They really are. And you mentioned Colwyn Bay and Tunbridge Wells, two fantastic outgrounds. And one of my favourite county grounds, actually, is Wantage Rose. I don't know what it is about it, but it's the walk from Northampton train station to Abingdon. And then it's in all of those houses. It's just nestled in, isn't it, amongst Northampton yeah. as a town. And then you get this lovely cricket ground just in the, in the middle of it. So, yeah, some fantastic venues, to say the least there, Ryan. And I suppose on the flip side, because we mentioned there mostly about proud moments. And wouldn't it be wonderful? In an ideal world, cricket would just be high after high after high, great moment after great moment. And everything's rosy and peachy in the world. But unfortunately... As you alluded to beforehand, the cricketing beast can be very, very nasty at times and it can be very cruel. So I have to ask that on the flip side, I suppose, of the proud moments, what do you say was your toughest moment from your time with the Baron Ragged staff? Uh, I guess probably the 2019, 2019 season didn't really go to plan for myself. I had a really, really good pre-season, did some great work with with Pop Welsh, the bowling coach at the time, and you know, I was really excited to to hit the ground running. And you know, we played against Kent uh, in the last game of the season to win the Division Two title, and then we played the Mount Edgebaston again, the first game of the 2019 season in Division One. And 
Um, you know, bowled bowled really, really well. I don't from memory, I think we lost the game, but we did. Um, Ollie Robinson scored a ton. You know, I think looking back, I feel like I, you know, bowled really, really well, but then ended up with a stress fracture in my shoulder blade. So that was a that was a pretty sort of dark moment in my career that you know you do all the hard work in the pre-season and you finally get to the fun stuff of getting out there and getting in the battle and and being able to express yourself out on the ground and you have that taken away from you and you have to sit there and you watch the remainder of the season from afar you know you you go in you go in on a on a daily basis get your rehab done and you almost feel like a spare part and you feel like you're sort of a burden on the on the dressing room because you know, you don't want to interfere or you don't want to overstep your mark or anything like that. And that, I found that quite tough. But I think the guys at, at Warwickshire at the time were actually really, really good. And they basically said, you know, we, we love having you here and we love seeing you here. But go, go and have, go and do something else. Go and have a holiday. Go away. Go, you know, spend some time with your, with your girlfriend and, and do all that kind of stuff. And, and they allowed me to do that, which made it a hell of a lot easier. I'm not saying it was still easy, but that made it a hell of a lot easier that I wasn't sat there watching cricket 24 seven because that I've, I've sort of, I've been there and done that as well. And you, you end up in some pretty deep, dark places um, because those four walls of, of the gym and the physio room, they get pretty boring pretty quickly. And uh, if you're in there more often than not, it's yeah, it's not, not ideal. And, you know, I think, from from 2019 onwards up until sort of the end of last season, my sort of career had been ravaged by injury, and I got to know the physios and the SNCs quite well over that over that time. Um, lovely people, but they're not the people that you want to be spending all your time with, realistically, are they? So, um, but yeah, I would say probably 2019 was one of the darkest darkest points in my career, and um, you know, obviously, it wasn't ideal to to sit down and have a have a chat with Paul Farbrace and and have that chat of saying, sorry, we're not going to offer you a contract next year. That's obviously not ideal, but that's part and parcel of elite sport. And if you're not if you're not being real about it, then you know, you're yeah, you you've just got to take it every opportunity as you can as you can. And they're not ideal situations, but it's part and parcel of it. It's elite sport. It you know, it can't always be sunshine and rainbows. There's there's got to be some some dark, dark dark moments in it, but it's it's how you jump those hurdles and get over them and and keep moving forward is is how you judge people and how how you expect to be judged. So um, I hope I've answered your question. You certainly have, Ryan. And again, I'm very very interested to to have heard that because that's a similar theme on the podcast when it comes to to injury. Obviously, no one wants to be injured, but something which I suppose a lot of people outside of the game don't quite realise. It's just how lonely a feeling it is. You do feel isolated. You do feel all, not like an outcast, right? Because you're not a- away from the dressing room entirely, but you're not actively partaking with the group, are you? You're not. You're not contributing to success. You're not contributing to the team on the field. You do feel as though, in, in your own words, you become a little bit of a burden to the people in that dressing room. So I-, I have to ask, really, what was the motivation for you to come back from injury? Because some players would undergo a stress fracture. Obviously, you'd had that one earlier in your career at Victoria, which had derailed your Sheffield Shield career. So what was it about that time with the physios, with the SNCs, those lonely times rehabbing in the gym? What was it that kept you going and motivated you to come back to the game that you love so much? 
Um, I guess the the physios and the SNC they do play a massive part in that um, by trying to keep everything sort of fresh and new and exciting. It it, it does help. I'm not saying it, and it, that it's you know the easiest thing to go through or it's, but I think you've got to stay humble and you've just got to realise that at the end of the day you still are a cricketer and you're being paid to play cricket. These are part and parcel. These are parts of the game. Yeah, they're not they're not nice parts of it, but they're parts that you have to deal with. And I think having an you've got to have a a network of people outside of of the game that can keep it as being a game. And I think you've got to you you know you've got to take take it with a pinch of salt and keep looking at it as a glass half full, not a glass half empty. You've got to be really optimistic on you know how you go about it and look at it as an opportunity to come back better and come back stronger and um i think that's the way that i sort of tried to tackle it anyway i'm not sure that it sort of ventured that way but um yeah it was a, it was a difficult sort of six months really because you know you're sitting there you're watching guys do what you want to do essentially and what you're paid to do but not just necessarily game days. I think game days are actually quite, they're, they're a little bit easier because there's actually something going on in the pitch that, you know, and if we're batting, then, you know, you, you get the banter of the lads in the dressing room and all that kind of stuff. So they're a little bit easier. It's training days that when when guys are over at the Colts Nets and they spend hours over there and basically you come in, you don't see them, you get your work done and you're done and you're finished before they're all finished. So you're actually out the door before before they get off the track and, I think that's that's one of the difficult parts that you have to sort of adjust to is that you make sure you've got to either schedule it so that you can sort of get to see the guys and get that sort of interaction that that helps you keep moving forward. But definitely the physios and the and the SNCs they they help you massively and that support network that you have away from from the ground is essential to to keep you going as well. It really is, and that's important in in wider life in general, isn't it? the support network who you can fall back on and rely upon in your darker days. It's, it really is massive. And that was a rough season as well, wasn't it, for Warwickshire? In terms of injuries, everybody seems to get injured. Norwell got injured. OHD got injured at one point. So I know at one point we had to bring in Bailey Whiteman. We had to bring in James Wayman. Who else? At Fidel Edwards on a loan Toby, for the C20 Blast. I think we had Toby Lester on loan as well. I think at one stage we had one fit bowler on the on the staff and that was Will Rhodes so like it's it can be pretty brutal at times um but the rewards you know definitely outweigh the outweigh the the brutality of it for sure oh exactly and you've you've just actually jogged my memory as well Ryan Ben Mike came in on loan and scored 72 against Hampshire in that partnership with Jeetan Patel he did at the Aegeus Bowl so yeah that was a very very rough summer for the Bears but Aside then from Warwickshire, just before we talk about how things ended at the Bears, Ryan, we get onto the future and conclude today's episode. For the sake of the Derbyshire fans tuning in to today's episode, I do think we have to mention the East Midlands County because last season you did have the opportunity to represent the Falcons in four-day cricket. And, you know, you had that experience of, of playing under the, the tenure of Mickey Arthur, a legend of crickets and, and cricket coaching. So, in terms of your time at Derbyshire, how would you describe your experiences and your time with East Midlands County? I loved it. It was great. Uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed the, the couple of months that I had there. Um, 
when I sit back and think about it, I'm probably not happy that it panned out the way it panned out with a couple of hamstring injuries. But again, that was part and parcel of elite sport. But, you know, I, I think in the, in the period of my career, um, it was, it was nice to, to be able to get some, some cricket under my belt. And it almost sort of re-energized me a little bit to, to get that sort of sense of belonging. And, you know, obviously when you're at a big county like Warwickshire, the expectations of, of winning is, is quite high and it can, and it can get quite tough at times, but when you go to a smaller county such as Derby and, and the way Mickey sort of was, was into implementing his sort of coaching style, it was that we're not necessarily going to be a team that wins lots of cricket, but we're going to be a team that is going to be hard to, we're going to be hard to beat before we become a winning team. And I think, the way we, the way Mickey go went about it was was great. It was refreshing. It was it was you know it was what I actually needed. But unfortunately, the beast that was, there's I, I went down with a couple of hamstring injuries and it didn't it didn't pan out the way I, I planned it to. But I am you know grateful for the opportunity of the, for, from the Derby you know County Cricket Club that they gave me the opportunity to go and to go and play and you know to get some cricket under my belt and and to keep that. To almost yeah, to to keep stoking that fire of you know wanting to keep keep doing it. So um, look back and really really appreciate the opportunities of it, but really enjoyed the time that I, I spent there as well. There's some you know some wonderful people and some some really really good coaches as well. They certainly are. Derbyshire's just a lovely club, aren't they? In terms of the fan base, in terms of the coaches, the players as well, a real community club, aren't they? Derbyshire County Cricket Club. So. Yeah, good to hear that, to be honest, Ryan. That's absolutely fantastic to hear. And I, I imagine the Derbyshire fans tuning into the podcast as well will be absolutely beaming after hearing that. But aside then from that time with Derbyshire, aside then from the majority of the time at Warwickshire, Ryan, we do have to discuss the, the conclusion of your time with the Bear and Ragged staff, which was at the end of the 2022 season. Again, a roller coaster season for the Bear and Ragged staff, which culminated in that ridiculous four-run victory over Hampshire. Liam Norwell taking nine for 62. I think those those figures will be tattooed into my brain for the rest of time, to be honest. I can still feel the nerves and the <laughs> the elation of him taking that final wicket of Mohamed Abbas LBW to this day. I think I'll never forget that feeling, to be honest. But in terms of, of how it came to an end at Warwickshire, Ryan, when did you find out that you're going to be released from your contract? Yeah, so I think it was a bit of a long process. I'd had a I'd had a really honest discussion with with Fabi, Paul Fabrace at the sort of the last game of the twenty twenty one season, um, and we had a long, long, honest discussion about where he thought I was at and where the club were, were looking to head. And basically, I was told then that twenty twenty two was going to be my last season. So um, unless I went out and performed, you know, extremely well and and earn another contract but so i had the, the writing was on the walls a little bit um hence why the the derby loan sort of came about and an opportunity to play some cricket was was fantastic um you know i think i played one more game for warwickshire than i anticipated i didn't i didn't expect to play for warwickshire at, at all after going down with my second hamstring injury and then to obviously to get the opportunity to play against Gloucester at Bristol was was fantastic. Obviously, you know we didn't win. 
we, we lost the game of cricket, which, you know, isn't ideal. But to sit there, to look back, you know, my daughter, I think she was only sort of six or eight, maybe 10 weeks old at the time. And, you know, my, my partner and, and my daughter were able to get there and watch. So it was, it was something that I'll, I'll hold sort of, sort of close to my chest. But, it, yeah, it, the writing was on the wall at the end of the 2021 season. But it's not, it's not a nice thing to, to have, is to have that conversation to say that, you know, you, your time's up here and, you know, we thank you for your service and, and all that kind of stuff. So it sort of didn't end on a, on a, on a note that I really liked. And um, I was keen to, keen to explore my options on, on another county. And um, it wasn't until after Christmas that, you know, I'd had a little bit of, a little bit of um, communication with, Paul Downton, the DOC at Kent, and um, post Christmas we touched base again, and he and he turned around and said, "Oh, actually, we've we've got a we've got a, a spot that we're looking to fill. Well, then we're more than happy for you to come down and have a try at the trial, and if you, if you're willing to, we'd we'd love to have you down." So, you know, I spent four or five weeks, not too long ago, um, travelling up and down the M25 to Kent, and. Um, yeah, got to a point where I had a contract on the table, and I've I've decided to to knock it back and and hang up the boots. So, um, as I, we we chatted off off a, off a line earlier, um, yeah, there was a there was just a there's a feeling that I couldn't shake. Um, and over the sort of the last two or three weeks of that that trial period, it sort of grew a little bit stronger and like a bit of a snowball effect, and I just couldn't I couldn't quite shake it and. I think it got to a point where I had a discussion with my partner and and I just basically said, I don't think I want to do this anymore. Um, you know, I'm spending far too much time away from from you, from Cassidy, my daughter, and and home and you know, it's it's not sitting well with me. So um after a couple more discussions with a few uh of my few people in my close network, it yeah, it made the decision a hell of a lot easier and um, you know, I do thank the Kent County Cricket Club for the opportunity to go and explore the the option of you know it's not the fact that I can't do it anymore; it's the fact that you know it's it's a want and desire thing any at, at the moment. And um, you know, I, I thank them huge a huge thank you to them for for giving me that opportunity. Um, and I'm grateful that I did get that opportunity. And um, you know, extremely proud of what I've been able to achieve in it, but um in my in my career but you know the the next chapter is here and and it's an exciting one and you know we look we look on to the future and um we go on we go on from there it's not it's not as if that i'm not going to be playing any any cricket at all i'm still going to be playing for berkshire on a saturday and i'm you know, i'm going to get my enjoyment from from there and and you know i'll i'll still be keeping an eye on on how the bears and and all the people that i've played with and against you know are doing so um I'm looking forward to the next chapter, and um, yeah, definitely, it's an it's an exciting, exciting time. Well, first and foremost, Ryan, can I just say congratulations on your first class career, and a massive thank you as well on behalf of myself and many a Warwickshire fan for your service to our club over the years. Because we mentioned the debut, we mentioned the ten for against Northants. You also did play your part in the 2021 County Championship win as well. So for all of the hard yards, for all of the difficult moments and the great moments at my county of Warwickshire, honestly, thank you, mate. And you should be tremendously proud 
of what you've achieved in the past few years to come to come back from the disappointment in Victoria at the age of 27, have the opportunity at Berksville, work your way into the county circuit and do so well for Warwickshire. That's something which in a few decades time you can look back on and go, you know what, I did that. I really did achieve something in my life. And for that, you can always be tremendously proud. And just something else I did just want to mention is is how much I respect that decision, actually, because it must be difficult. I can see how much you love cricket. I can see how much cricket means to you. But family comes first, doesn't it? And I really do appreciate that because we as cricket fans, obviously, we want to see you playing cricket. That's that's first and foremost in our minds if we're being selfish. But there is life outside of the game. There is a life beyond cricket. Maybe not for me because I'm a saddo, but for the vast majority of people, there is a life beyond cricket. And for you to be able to to spend that quality time with your daughter now, with your partner as well, tip my cap, mate. I really do. That is a fantastic decision. Completely respect it. And you mentioned the future. Obviously, you're tremendously happy with your partner. You've got your daughter now. Very, very exciting times. And in terms of the next step in, in your life, Ryan, what do you want to achieve heading into the future? What has the future got in store for Ryan Sidebottom heading into the year 2023? That is a that is the £64,000 question, to be honest. Um, I'm not 100% sure yet. Um, I'm lucky enough that we're, I'm in a position where I've, I can take a little bit of time to, to decide that. Um, I quite enjoy doing um, some DIY around the house and um, I quite enjoy using my hands to build things and stuff like that. So over the last couple of weeks, I've been been spending a bit of time building just some some furniture out of reclaimed um, scaffolding boards. So, you know, whether whether it's a venture of, of building an online shop to do something like that or or, or going into a carpentry sort of trade or, or whatever. I'm not I'm not 100% sure at this at this point in time, but that's the exciting thing about it. I can go in whichever direction I I want. And um, I think you alluded to it earlier that, you know, that word selfish, and I think it would have been selfish if that I, if I had have kept going because I'm not sure it would have been for the right reasons. And, um, you know, I think looking back on making that decision, albeit, you know, only a short period ago, I'm actually quite proud of myself for making it as well that I can actually sit here and it was almost like there was a weight lifted off my shoulders once I'd made the decision. So, um, you know, extremely proud of what I've been able to achieve. But in terms of what comes next, there's, you know, you know, there's a big decision to be made. And, um, yeah, I haven't got I haven't got the answers at, at this period in time, but I'm sure they're not too far away from, from me. So, um, again, that, that support network around me will you know, be be touched upon and um, be used for sure. But, you know, it's exciting. It's exciting and, and I'm, you know, really, really looking forward to it. Well, Ryan, on behalf of myself and everybody associated with the County Cricket Podcast, whatever you try your hand at, got absolutely no doubt they'll be tremendously successful. And obviously, we wish you and your family all the very best of luck heading into the future. 2023 has the makings of a very exciting year and Unfortunately for us as county cricket fans, we won't be seeing you for a Warwickshire or for a Kent this summer. But I'll tell you what, if you're in the Birmingham League area, get yourself down to Berkswell, fantastic club <laughs> located in, in the village of Borsal Common next to the Whitehorse pub. Beautiful venue. Might even be able to see Dominic Osler, former Bears treble winner in 1994, alongside Ryan Sidebottom. So honestly, Ryan, thank you. Thank you for your services to Warwickshire and also thank you, a massive thank you for coming onto the podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure, Masons. 
before we say our final goodbyes for the recording and we wrap up what's been a fascinating episode, do you have anything to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, businesses, anything like that? Uh, no, not 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 at the moment. Um, I, I best I best guess. Well, I best thank you. Thanks to my ambassador. I'm an ambassador of the of TNF Cricket. Tales Never Fails, based out of Melbourne in um, in Australia. So they've you know been a massive support for me over the last sort of five or six, seven, or eight years of my career. So a big thank you to them and. Just a big thank you to everyone that's played a small, whether it be a small or a massive part in in my journey of a, of being a cricketer. I guess it's, you know, it, it, every every little bit goes a long way to to getting you in a in a direction to that you know allows you to be able to to play a sport that we all love. And you know, I guess again, I'm I'm the lucky one that has had you know two opportunities to be able to do it over over a period of sort of 10, 11 years and. Um, I just want to stress that, yeah, it's it's been a hell of a journey, and I've 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 loved every minute of it. But still, sit back and think that you know I am I am the lucky one that's that's experienced it. So, um, yeah, big thank you to everyone that's played a, a big or small part. Big thanks to the guys at TNF, and I best probably thank my my partner as well because she's allowed me to <laughs> to do it. Although you know, at, at periods of time, it's not great when you're spending you know loads of time on the road, but um, yeah, it's 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 amazing. Um, I've loved every 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 minute of whether it been at at Derby or the trial at Kent or all my time at Warwickshire. So um, you know, a big thank you to everyone that's that's been involved in it. Well, to be honest, Ryan, that is a lovely way to wrap up the recording. I don't think we could have had had a nicer moment to be honest to to finish up on. So yeah, I think we'll we'll call it there. To be honest, in, in fact, I say that one final shout out for the podcast because we've kept on saying your partner we haven't actually mentioned her name and she's quite clearly had a, a massive influence not just in your career but obviously in wider life just before we do end the recording ryan what is your partner's name just so we can give her a shout out yeah so my partner's name is natasha so a big thank you to her and um you know she's she's helped me along the way over the last sort of four or five years and and she's been a massive part of it so you know big thanks love <laughs> there we go an even nicer way to wrap up the recording so shout out to natasha and obviously ryan we here at tccp wishing you and your family all the very best of luck heading into the future mate got absolutely no doubt that the future will be looking very very bright indeed but that pretty much brings us to an end for today's episode of the counter cricket podcast to each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there thank you very much for tuning in and as always guys we'll see you on the next one